psalmist says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man, who am I, that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Star of wonder, just any old normal star is a star of wonder, would you agree? When you step out into the brazen, crisp night and you look up into the stars, when you hear the crackle of leaves beneath your feet, when you hear the distant sound of the nocturnal animals, does it take you somewhere? Does it draw you in? Does it open you up? And then imagine you see the star. Imagine that you're a stargazer. Imagine that you've made it your life's pursuit to search the stars for that particular star. And in one moment, you and two friends, you see it. And you start following it. Imagine that you're a shepherd. And you're just doing your job. It's a cold night and you're huddled around just the, the low embers of a fire on its last gasp. No street lamps. No LED screens. And then bam, a shock of light and terror surges through your bones. Or you keep following that star until it stops over a nondescript town called Bethlehem. And you're overwhelmed by joy. And so here and now, Father, we just want to mark a moment and say that, that we're, we're entering, we're rushing, we're almost colliding closer into the rush and the crush of, of Christmas Day. And maybe we haven't paused, maybe we haven't stopped, maybe we haven't exhaled, maybe we haven't looked up into the rapturous sky. We're beholden to so many other things. Our heads are down. Our focus is narrow. And what we're asking from the, from the depth of this quiet plea in our heart is that we, we might be opened up to mystery. We might be opened up to wonder. We might be opened up to your deep heart in a unique way here, now, in this season. That your star of wonder still shines. That the shock of light still flashes. 
and that we might be overjoyed, that we might be terrified. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. So we are in this series, as Roy mentioned. Hello, we can bring lights up. There we go. Good to see you or not see you now. As the lights flash in my eyes. But we're in this series. We're in our third installment. Roy and Justin, they did an interview two weeks ago about the difference between being childlike and childish what they called the kiddish. It was called the kiddishness. Last week, uh, we splashed one another with dog bowls and the like. May you never see a dog bowl the same way again. How many of you are here for that? Awesome. It's great to be back, back with you. Today, we're going to talk about how wonder moves us to something that this world desperately needs, which is kindness. There's a study by Dr. Paul Piff, his name is fantastic. Wouldn't you like the last name Piff? It's just cool. Um, he's from the University of California, Irvine. And here's what he found after a great amount of research is that when we look up, something happens. When we take in nature, he says, that very self that he calls it a restricting self-interest begins to diminish. And, uh, interesting words, isn't it? A restricting self-interest begins to diminish, and we're opened up to the welfare of others. I read this first in, the, in Discovery Magazine, but went and searched online, and here in um, the publication Shondaland, here's what it says. In other words, that when we look up into those big places in the sky, it helped people realize how small they are in the grand scheme of things, and in turn, increase their kindness and concern for others. Now, this should not shock us at all. Why? Because of the verse that we just began with out of Psalm 8. Let's just go back one if we can, Jeff, just to the one that we began with. Psalm 8, look at this. Does this not sound like the research we just read? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man? Who are we as human beings that you take thought of us and the son of man that you care for us. What happens when we look up? All of a sudden, we, we feel right-sized and in all the best of ways, small. What happens when, when we look up? All of a sudden, we realize, oh, I'm not the center of the universe. What happens when we look up into nature and we begin to marvel and wonder? All of a sudden, we go, oh, I guess it's not all about me or depends on me. And then interesting, when we look up and we take it in and we experience awe and things like that, we go, oh, I guess there are people around me that need tending. In other words, and here's the whole premise of the day, is that wonder from a neurological place, from the research, and from what the scripture says, wonder provokes us to kindness. And what I'm gonna to submit to you is that kindness provokes others to a kind of wonder. Wonder provokes us to kindness, and our kindness provokes others to a kind of wonder. Now, wouldn't you just say that the topic of kindness, Shoal Creek, is rather timely as we head into Christmas? because people just might be coming to your house, like in-laws, they could be arriving, like Uncle Eddie, 
he could be camping out in your front yard, right? Wouldn't you say just this time of season, we need to kind of double down on kindness that's needed in just extra dose right here and now in this season under your household, but also in this world. Wouldn't you just agree this world needs a sense of greater kindness? Yeah? Anybody disagree with that? You know what? I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. That's just a rhetorical question because the whole world is begging for this. And yet, the whole world does it really poorly. It's one of those, it's like, it's like generosity. Everyone's on board with generosity. And everyone thinks everyone else should be more generous. And yet, we're not always the most generous. Kindness is very much like that. Like, if I were to ask you, I'm not going to ask you, but if I were to ask you, scale of one to ten, how kind are you? I guarantee you, all but maybe two or three of you would say, I'm above average in kindness. And I think if we pulled the whole, like, nation and the whole world, I think everyone would say, yeah, I think I've got this kindness thing down. To which I think, it's others that have the problem, right? To which I think Jesus would say, oh, yeah? Well, maybe we need to redefine what we mean by kindness. Here's what he says about kindness, about love. He sticks this to us here in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this out of Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you just love um, Republicans because you're a Republican, that's not love. If you just love Democrats because you're a Democrat, that's not love. If you just love those who agree with you about COVID policy, that's not love. If you just love those who are cheese fans, that's not love. Well, it's, it's the closest thing to love we know on earth, but other than that. <laughs> He's calling us to a radical level of kindness that is not placating, that is not tolerating. This whole, the whole tolerance movement, like I'm for it except for it just falls way short because who wants to be tolerated in this life? It's not ecumenical by which we say, let's just turn off our brains and say, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And you know what else it's not? It's not being nice. Kindness is not niceness. You ever thought about that? Do you know that there's nowhere in the scriptures that Jesus calls us to be nice? And I would tell you this, Jesus was not nice. How do I know that? Because nowhere does it say in the Bible, Jesus was nice. It actually, quite the opposite. There were many not nice moments of Jesus. Jesus was not a nice person, I'm here to tell you. Now he was love, but he was not nice. He was fierce, but he was not nice. He was kind, but he was not nice. What's the difference between kindness and niceness? Anybody want to just shout out an answer? What? What's that? Oh, you want the whiteboard, the blackboard. Free bird. That's awesome. I know there's no, like, let it be wondrous this morning. There's no whiteboard. What am I going to do? That's why I'm feeling this delayed thing. Everyone's like, are they bringing it out? Are they not? 
What's the difference between... That's what? Kindness is that? Oh, the... What they most need. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't know if you heard that over there, but um, what's your name, sir? Tyler. Tyler said, niceness is treating people the way they want to be treated versus the way they need to be treated. So have you ever had that moment where you have to choose how to be honest and tell you love them so much you're going to tell them what they don't want to hear but they need to hear? That's being kind. But that's not being nice. And so if you think about in family of origin, are we a nice culture in our home or are we an honest culture? Those are two different things. Kindness goes to a deeper place. Let me tell you a few stories about kindness and its power. Natalie Hampton was 15 years old and she was getting bullied in high school. So much so that she had to be transferred out of that high school, went to another one in Sherman Oaks, California. And she was so... um, I don't know if the word would be traumatized or hurt from her past experience, that she said, I'm never going to, I I never want anyone to experience what I just experienced again. So she started a club on campus simply called Sit With Us so that no one had to experience what she experienced at her prior school, which was during the lunch hour, no one would let her sit with them in their cliques. That is kindness. That requires this Jesus, like, don't just love those who love you. Love those who maybe are unlovely. Love those who you don't know. Love those who you disagree with. Uh, Orino Rasushinka was a poet during the Soviet Empire, and she was arrested, put into the gulag, into Soviet labor camps for, they said, disseminating slanderous information in poetic form. And she spent years and years in the gulag under the harsh treatment of the Soviet guards, obviously behind barbed wire. She spent one year in solitary confinement in which her cell got at times 40 degrees below zero. So it's stunning that she even survived. And when asked, Irina, how did you survive? She said, we learned that we needed to do one thing every morning that as prisoners together, this is not when she was in solitary confinement, she said, we had to learn how to smile to one another, to greet each other in one moment of kindness. She said that was our key to survival. Isn't that powerful? My dad, I watched my dad my entire life receive and welcome His now, he would say, one of his best friends, Doug Zantney. Doug has the mental capabilities of about a 10 to 12-year-old. He's now in his 70s. But I grew up watching Doug, who lived five houses down, walk down the street, come down our driveway, right at dinner time, right when the meal was hot, just as my dad got home, set the briefcase down, loosened his tie, sat at the dinner table, and there's Doug's head coming down. And I'd just watch my dad every night say, hey, Doug. Come on, pull up a chair. 
What's going on, Doug? Well, Mike, we're going on our Boy Scout trip. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I've got that new lantern. Boy, everyone's going to be so jealous about my new lantern. Oh, yeah, Doug, what color is the lantern? It's green, Mike. It's just, it's cool. And won't they be excited? Yeah, Doug, they're going to be so excited. I think that's going to be great. Yeah, and won't they be excited? Because my, my lantern is green and everyone else is blue. That's right, Doug. And I would just sit and watch my dad, tired after a long day, four other boys, a wife who needs his attention and all that, just sit and be present to Doug. That's kindness. I want to ask you right out here of the gate, who needs this kind of kindness? And in fact, I want to give it a word. I want, I want to just, I, I feel like kindness is, just falls into this soft place. I think we need to put a word before kindness. And the best word I can think of is gritty. A gritty kind of kindness that is different than what the world knows but it's absolutely what the world needs. It's this kind of gritty kindness. Wonder provokes us to kindness, but it's gonna be our kindness that provokes the world to wonder. And I wanna just walk you through four kind of thoughts about gritty kindness. And the first one is that it's impossible. It's impossible for you and I to actually do if left to our own devices. Now, uh, our culture at large will tell us differently. Our culture would just put up all sorts of placards and signs and public service announcements, be kind to one another, and, 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 and thinking that'll just tap the good angel part about, about us, that, that if we just do a little bit more, there's something in us as humans that will we'll just kind of flourish uh, on our own. Now, the biblical view is that you and I are made beautifully in the image and the ingenuity of God, but we are also broken. So our culture will offer an overinflated view of us. And Jesus was much more pragmatic. He was a realist. He was like, uh, you know, I know people are worrying and I know you wanna ask me for things, but think about it, if you're a dad and your son gives you something, like you give it to him, right? Even though you're evil, he literally says that. Even though you're evil, you'd, you'd give that to your son. I'm like, evil? Wait a minute, Jesus, let's just kind of step back and think about that. Did you just call me evil? And it literally says in another place that Jesus did not entrust himself to, to, to humans because he knew what was in their hearts. Now remember, he loves us, but he sees us with a lot of clarity that sometimes we don't see about ourselves. Alexander Solzhenitsyn also a Russian dissident, as it were. He writes about the human condition this way. Here, here's what he says. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to just separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And so I just know that if left to my own devices, I will not be a kind person. I'll be catty, I'll be judgmental, I'll harbor resentments, I'll sequester into my own little tribe and just seek comfort with those that think like me, look like me, all those different things. I'll just kind of live in my own little tribalism of sorts. 
By the way, technology is not helping us with kindness. When, when the inter- internet was invented, everyone, again, this is ushering a new renaissance for humanity. This is going to help us see one another's perspectives. This is going to bring the big world small and it's going to bring us all together. And what has it done? It has completely put us not only into large groups, but into little nano groups. We're more divided and polarized than ever. And all it takes is a simple algorithm to do it. I mean, you read all the things in, you know, Vox magazine and, you know, Wired magazine, and even the tech gurus are saying, we have a problem. We've unlocked something that we don't know how to get it back into the genie's box. And we know that outrage sells. And so what do the algorithms sell? They sell outrage. We're having a hard time distinguishing between robots and humans to the point where we're having a hard time learning how to be kind to humans because we're not kind to our robots. In other words, how do you speak to Alexa? Shut up, Alexa. Right? Alexa, be quiet. God at right? all those things. And there's research about this. Yale, Ver- Yale University did some research. And, and I have to pause and just say I, I love this because I, I have tried to be very kind to Alexa. My daughters have made fun, fun of me. So I'm like, Alexa, would you please? Alexa, would you kindly? Thank you, Alexa. And my daughter's like, Dad, you don't need to do that. I go, yes, I do. Because the minute I start speaking rudely to Alexa is the minute I start speaking rudely to you. Well, my daughter was reading the Wall Street Journal, which I just, um, it just gives me no delight or no end of delight to think that my 16-year-old is reading an old school newspaper. And she's sitting on the couch and she's like, Dad, turns out you're right. And she shares with me this research that says basically the developers of our technology have not put in social niceties because it would never sell. As a result... Here's what it says. Uh, look at this bottom line. The catch is technology trains us and our children to be rude. Would you agree with that? What's the whole point of this? The whole point of this is there's an entire inertia by technology connecting to that broken piece in you and me that makes this really, really hard. But then we're sold this, like, well, go do it, this overinflated humanistic view of who we are that's actually not just, it's just not true. So I just want to say, if left to our own devices, we're not going to do this well at all. But number two, here's the good news. Gritty kindness comes straight from the heart of God, comes straight from the heart of God. If we have an overinflated view of humanity to do this, we have an under developed view of who God is. Katherine Johnson, she's from Arizona State, she did some research of what she calls God concepts. And she studied um, various people and students in this research experiment, and just basically the premise was, depending on whatever concept people have of God, it will show up in their behavior. So she just gave them two constructs. Uh, Is your view of God authoritarian or is it benevolent? 
And by authoritarian, it's kind of fear-based. It's God is capricious. Uh, He's kind of out to get you. And he's just about winning, conquering, all these kinds of things. Or benevolent, he's love, he's kindness, he's merciful, he's all these things. And then study people with these different kind of two beliefs. Is God authoritarian or is he benevolent? And then what do you think they found? Those who had a view of God, their, their God concept of God being authoritarian, they were highly aggressive, highly judgmental. They would go on the attack. They didn't practice any kindness at all. Those that understood God to be benevolent, loving, merciful, and kind, they found that these people were far more gracious, far more accommodating, forgiving, and generous. So it begs the question, if we want kindness in our world, we need to really understand who we are, but we also need to understand who God is. So who is your God? Now he is both loving and he is stern. He has authority, yes, but he also is benevolent in his heart. If we're able to actually look at a biblical picture of God, here's what we'll see. Isaiah 54 says this. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, this is, I think, what we feel right now with what's happening in the world. Yet, God says, my unfailing love, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my way of relating with you, that's the word covenant, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And that word kind of unfailing love in the Hebrew and the original language is hesed. Hesed is this rich, rich word that is this kind of all-encompassing word that gets to the deepest character of who God is. Here's what Bible scholar Daryl Bach says about it. Look at this with me. Hesed is wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty, in short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. What did Jesus ask us to do in the beginning? Don't just love those who love you. Go beyond that. Go to actually your enemy. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That is the radical act of kindness, and that is who God is at his very core. And this is who God the Father is, and we talk about the incarnation, the great road trip from heaven to earth where God dwells in the flesh as Emmanuel to you and me, and we have in the totality of Jesus the Hesed of God and his kindness. And we see how he walked this earth. He was not nice. Oh, but he was kind. He loved the furthest out. He forgave his enemies. He stopped for the outcast. He went near to the untouchable. He stood down the guardians of who said, who, of who, who, who would say, here's who can get in, here's who has to stay out. He turned over tables to see that God's house would be open and welcome to all. Not nice, oh, but so kind. The loving kindness 
of God in totality in the flesh. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus was born. We celebrate that during this season. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day claiming victory over sin and death. He ascended into the heavenly realm where today Jesus, literally, physically, sits on the throne. And one day he will return to make all things new. But when he ascended, he gave us a promise that we would actually have the spirit of God in us. See, remember when I said it's impossible if left to our own devices? Turns out all things are possible, Jesus says, to him who believes, to her who believes. Because we have the spirit of God. Anyone that says yes to Jesus has the animating power and agency of God himself living within us. And when that happens, you and I have something that the world is starving for, begging for, scheming to see happen, but, but doesn't know how to see it come about. We have something by nature of the Spirit of God dwelling in us that no one could argue against. And we're given a list of the fruit of when the Holy Spirit takes hold of your life in my life. And look at these words. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Who would argue with that? Anybody not want that? Joy. Anybody want that? Yeah, everyone. Peace. Oh, we're so hungry for peace. Forbearance. Kindness, there's the word. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, self-control, forbearance, almost kind of the same word. Just means we need a double dose of it, don't we? When you get that email and you just want to go, launch that grenade back. When somebody cuts you off on the road. When Aunt Elda shows up and starts picking at your casserole. When you read something, a bumper sticker, or a front yard sign, or you're scrolling and you're tempted towards outrage because the algorithm knows you, we need something beyond ourselves, don't we? We need the animating agency of the very spirit of Jesus in us to do the very third thing. Here's the third thing. Gritty kindness disagrees and still loves. If there's one thing I just could remind you about, kindness isn't nodding your head, smiling and moving. It's like, no, it's actually leaning in and, 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 and literally loving somebody who might just stand totally opposed to you. I'll just give you one, one example of this. I've been kind of talking about this already all morning, but just a couple of days ago, I saw a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker was about um, a political um, legislation. And it was, it was vote yes or vote no. And um, I was a vote yes guy, and this bumper sticker was a vote no. So this is a vote no car, and I'm a vote yes guy. And what happens to you when you're in that moment? I mean, just can you conjure up 
those things, when you see the yard sign, when you see something on social media, like, what happens? For me, my, my, my chest gets tight. I just instantly, I just, in my spirit, I just do this. I don't want to do that. That's not going to help the world, and it's not going to help me. So I just had a, I just had a different thought, and it was, um, I saw it, and in my head, I just said, but I say yes to you. So on the car, the bumper sticker says, vote no. And I said, but I say yes to you, whoever that person is. Could we be that kind of person? That, that, that's who I want to be. I'm not saying, and then, like, and then I got mad at them later in my spirit. So like, this isn't a hero story, right? Then I read their second bumper sticker. I'm like, I'm out. I can't say yes. You know, I'm kidding. But you know, I mean, these are fleeting thoughts. This was just like, I think a moment of the Holy Spirit's prompting actually. <clears throat> and could we be these, those kind of people who will say no to what you believe, no to what you think, no to even who you are, and you can say, but I say yes to you. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what he does with us, by the way. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says that don't you know it's the kindness of God, the kindness of God, not the judgment of God, not the ridicule or mockery of God. It's the kindness, the chesed of God that leads us to repentance. And repentance just means to change, to change your mind, to walk in a new direction. Repentance leads to beautiful things like fruit and restoration, to quietness, to rest. It's not any of those things that maybe we've conjured up about repentance. It's, it just simply means to change your mind. How do you change someone's mind? Through the power of loving them in spite of all the things that might separate you from them. That was the road trip and the reason God came in the flesh. Say, I'm gonna be with you even though you're at enmity with me. Even though right now, in this moment, you are an enemy of God, I'm gonna come sit with you, be with you, take on flesh, and walk with you. And we're called to do the very same thing. And when we do that, it has power. It has power. Wonder provokes us to kindness, and yet it's going to be our kindness that provokes others to wonder. So I'll leave you with this story. Um, in my day job, I'm a consultant, and one of my clients is Chick-fil-A, um, and one, one of the Chick-fil-A's is in Lenexa. With permission, um, I'll, share, I'll share this story with you. The owner of that particular Chick-fil-A, his name is Drew, and I was with him and his team when he shared this story. He said, you know, all, uh, when I go running through my neighborhood, I on uh, many occasions will run into a neighbor I just can't stand. The neighbor is a local professor at a local university and will stop to kind of talk and he said every conversation I get in with him, it is just, it's just condescending. It feels like I'm being depositioned. It feels like I'm just being set up. Just, it's caustic, it's little jabs here and there about Chick-fil-A and some of its principles and practices and the like. 
He said, and I just, I always walk away just being mad and just kind of irked and the, and the whole thing. He said, well, one day I'm at the restaurant and I look through the glass out onto the parking lot and I see my neighbor. He said, I saw my neighbor, but he's walking with an elderly gentleman. He said, I didn't know who it was. But this man has told me, Drew said, time and time again, every time I see him, he said, he tells me, well, I've never been to Chick-fil-A and I'm never going to Chick-fil-A. And with his own eyes, he sees his neighbor starting to head towards the front doors of Chick-fil-A. And so Drew has a decision to make. And here's what he decides. He says to one team member, hey, I want you to go grab the door, hold the door for those two gentlemen walking in. Hey, you, I want you to grab like some form of, of pad and I want you to literally walk them up, greet them, and I want you to take them to our best table over there in the corner. And hey, would you want to go ahead, go wipe it down really, really fast. And you, I want you to go take um, their order and we're going to white glove this. We're going to red carpet this for them. And the whole team, they were ready. They didn't know any background on this. They're like, let's go. So they put the towel over their arm. They open the door. They get the pad. They take the order. They sit, seat them down. They bring them the food, hot, fresh. And his neighbor and this elderly gentleman, they have their meal. They hardly say a word. They get up. They walk out the door. Weeks go by. Drew is out on a run. This time, his neighbor with the dog, waving him down. He said, Drew. He said, I don't know what to tell you. All I know to say is thank you. Because what you don't know is that when I came to your restaurant for the first time, it's the last place I wanted to be. But that man with me was my father and he's dying of cancer. And we had just come from the hospital with his last treatment. After that, they discontinued his treatment. And I asked my dad, where do you wanna go? And he said, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> He had never been either. He wanted to try it. I couldn't believe it. But we start walking towards your door and someone opens it for us. I know this is a fast food restaurant, but somebody comes and seats us, brings us the food, comps the whole thing, His father passed just a few weeks later. That was one of the last memories he had with his dad, was at the Chick-fil-A that he despises and where he maybe had never felt more loved. When someone tells you no, is that not saying yes to them? Wonder. The research says, leads us to kindness. And it's our kindness that provokes a kind of wonder in others 
that they just might experiment with or experience the wonderment of God.